Everybody, one and all, welcome to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend, Charles. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan, and not just any fantasy. Today, we are bringing up um, one of the hugest moments in fantasy of the past decade and that is the cultural phenomena and the maybe um the love-hate cultural phenomena that is the tv show game of thrones right we're ready to have a conversation about the one of the biggest shows in the history of shows here not just fantasy so (laughs) We're we're hoping that this is one that a lot of folks can relate to. So we will be having spoilers of the Game of Thrones TV show. Yes, through yes. the entire the whole show, game, every season. You yeah. know, we're talking about the big moments, the controversial moments. So if you have not finished Game of Thrones and you don't want it spoiled for you, um, check back again after you've watched the show and. That's something we're going to talk about right now. We're we're going to kind of frame our opinions, our thoughts on the series as it developed. But ultimately, we are here to answer the question, are we ready to love Game of Thrones again? You know, the show ended in 2019 and just over a year ago now. And, you know, it left a melancholy tone amongst most of its fans and and we'll get to that but the point is i think the the popular consensus was disappointment with season eight i think a lot of the wind was taken out of the sails and the fandom and um you know and are we are we ready to bring back that love that we had season like one through three of game of thrones right the way i see this conversation and want to frame it charles Mm -hmm. is that Look, you and I were as disappointed as the next person when it came to season eight and and just in general, the end of Game of Thrones, the TV show. Yes. And that being said, we've had some time now (laughs) and we've been able to sit back. We've read a lot of fantasy and enjoyed a lot of fantasy content since then, you and I, Charles. And we now hopefully have some space and you know there's conversations that have been had all over the internet and elsewhere out there in the real world uh, and that have talked about how disappointing season eight was why season eight was disappointing who have tried to flesh out everything that went wrong And there's not really anything that Charles and I would be able to say here that hasn't already been said about that. Very true. So we're saying, what's what's the next step from here now that we've all accepted and acknowledged that stuff about season eight and and some of the aspects of the end being disappointed? And we're saying, 
okay, have we had enough time now to look back at this cultural phenomenon and say, hey, there were a lot of great things about this that are worthwhile. So it, we're going to step back and try to evaluate where are we at with Game of Thrones right now? I think that is very well said. That's exactly why we're here today. So let's start that looking back process. Dylan, I want you to close your eyes for a moment and take yourself back to circa 2011. And I'm, a, I'm right there, Charles. And it's 2011. You know, we are a year out of high school. You know, the world is our oyster. We're, we're, we're thrown out there, you know, full of possibilities. And what happens, two things happen. The first is Game of Thrones, season one, episode one, hits the airwaves, and a Dance with Dragons arrives on the shelves. Now, Dance with Dragons is the most recent (laughs) Song of Ice and Fire book. This was the last Song of Ice and Fire book to be published, and now it's been nine years, and we're still holding out for winds of winter and that's fine but at the time hbo airs game of thrones season one and dances with dragons the fifth book hits the shelves and they're pretty much doing a one for one of like okay season one is book one game of thrones season two follows right afterwards with um clash of kings and you're getting pretty much a, a pretty faithful adaptation, I would say. You know, a lot of the lines of dialogue come right out of George's prose. And I think that's right. what caused the show early on to just propel in popularity and make its way into popular culture. That did, Charles. There's all sorts of lines that you can grab from especially that first season that were just dialogue in A Game of Thrones, the book. And as many have noted, uh, a lot of the strongest dialogue in the show's history was taken pretty closely from the book series. (laughs) Absolutely. And um, I think what helped it kind of go from outside of fantasy fans or Song of Ice and Fire fans and into just popular culture are these amazing characterizations that were partnered with the high production value, the exciting violence, sure. and and also just the showrunners, Benioff and Weiss, like masterfully translating book one and adapting it to like a HBO cable show. And I, you know, this was at a time people were telling people, "Hey, you gotta check out this show. It's it's a fantasy show with like really amazing characters and there's like cool violence and action and all this other stuff. You you should watch it." And that word of mouth spread, and that gets us to season. And then, of course, obviously, some crazy things happen in the plotting. Season one main character Ned gets some, you know, peace Ned, and that was, I think, a jaw dropping <laughs> moment for a lot of people. Yeah. And it's like, this is not what we were expecting out of a story like this. And it, I think it just got everyone hooked. You know, it's like this show could be anything, go anywhere. And when the twists are jaw dropping, that's the kind of stuff you remember. And and that blew my mind when I watched that for the first time. That blew my mind as well, Charles. And that's one of the things that will always stick with me when I'm trying to think about, hey, What are the things that I might still be taking away from the Game of Thrones show that I am able to 
love, uh, despite mm -hmm. some of these disappointments that came later, are that in the second to last episode of season one, they freaking killed off a main character. And obviously that happens in the book, but as a TV show, it totally changed my understanding. So I saw the show before I'd ever read the books. Mm -hmm. Me too, with uh, season one. And it totally, yeah. So it totally changed my understanding of what TV can be yes. in general, yes. where I was like, wait, you can just kill the main character? <laughs> and in some ways, Charles, that raised the stakes for me, not just in Game of Thrones, but in other TV shows that I was watching. It made me enjoy other TV shows more because I no longer had that sense of like, well, they can never kill the main character because a show had Exactly. And for me, it was like, okay, they cast Sean Bean, who was in Lord of the Rings, and they're like, hey, you Lord of the Rings fans, check this out. So I was like, yes, I'm in. And it's like, oh, he's the main character. He's rooted in this plot. Like all these characters, like he's in the middle of all of it. And then he's just gone and a scene that's so well set up it's so like suspenseful you still don't buy into it even when the episode ends you're like having a hard time oh, believing yeah. it and i think it was that moment that really kicked off i i'm gonna my passion for modern fantasy and you know i watched that live you know the next episode hadn't been released yet and i was like oh my god what is this and i remember that season ending and just buying the like book set Dances with Dragons just came out and I read all of them straight through. It was like that it had that much of a hook in me. So I'm starting off so strong. And I'd say if it wasn't for that, who knows? There may not have been a Friends Talking Fantasy podcast. Uh, there's almost <laughs> definitely not a Friends Talking Fantasy podcast, if not for I mean the Game of Thrones show in general, because this catalyzed my interest in fantasy pretty right. much i was a, like a lot of fans tuning into a tv show at this point and when i thought of fantasy i thought of you know lord of the rings and some of these other things that aren't exactly modern fantasy it, it is funny thinking that this was 2011 and, and the blade itself which we're buddy reading <laughs> right now as as we record uh actually came out in 2006 so obviously in the novel sphere right there were lots of modern fantasy uh, like things going on that subvert what we typically expect from the fantasy genre but i feel like the show brought that to the world in a way that to a much wider audience yeah. yeah to a much wider audience uh, in a way that they hadn't seen before if they weren't in the smaller community that we now consider ourselves a part of of people who read fantasy novels that are coming out contemporaneously very well said and nice vocab word there as well um i think you're welcome I, world I, <laughs> yeah let's get that one in the dictionary people i um I think, you know, I remember back in the day when you first started watching Game of Thrones. And it was interesting at that moment because we had been friends for years before that, obviously. And we never, if you can imagine us getting together and not talking about fantasy. I know it's hard to think of, but it was, it, it was like that for 10 years. And then all of a sudden Game of Thrones comes out. And I remember you were watching and it was like a switch flipped and like we were talking about game of thrones all the time and then we started like hey you were like hey check out joe abercrombie and then we're talking about that and that was the the groundwork for this whole new world that both of us were able to kind of 
feed into like feed into each other's like interests and fantasy and and it's it was all from from this original passion of watching this game of thrones tv show so super super impactful amazing moments in tv history and in fantasy history and that's in those first and in couple friends seasons. talking fantasy and in friends history. talking fantasies and what other fantasy uh, histories do you need after that none that's it <laughs> yeah and i mean a big part of this too is we're far from alone here charles oh, yeah. and people who have been brought into the fantasy genre and learned to appreciate so many other great authors like the ones we talk on uh, talk about on this show like joe abercrombie like rf kwong like brandon sanderson all these folks i think that if nothing else we do have to credit game of thrones the show for bringing so so many more people into our community here mm-hmm. of fantasy readers absolutely all ships rose with the tide when game of thrones uh came out you know it was just a magical moment for everybody um so season three comes out in 2013 if you can imagine it where juniors in college right where everyone's talking about game of thrones all of us you too, the listener. <laughs> yeah everyone's a junior in in college right now and um <laughs> so something happened this for the first time in the show's history it's not one for one season to book in season three we get half of book three half of storm of swords but it it's like this peak epicness with episode nine which is the red wedding and I think that was the second moment, maybe after Ned Stark's decapitation, but it was to a much higher extent in terms of like shaking, making waves in pop culture. It's like people are like, whoa, what is this? It's it's such a dramatic moment. It's like almost a traumatizing moment, but it's so expertly done. And the plotting by George was so amazing. You never see it coming. And even after you watch the main character get beheaded, he still manages to surprise you and shock you. And that was just like, so to have those in the same show, you have the Ned Stark beheading and the Red Wedding in the same flipping show, like, amazing absolutely amazing and i think it's the end of season three that we are at peak uh game of thrones content here golden age well said charles and i think something we can credit the show with here is that it seemed to almost elevate rob stark into more of the main character role of course there's so many characters going on such an ensemble cast that no one was truly the main character but it did start to feel more like oh okay the reason that they did the whole <laughs> getting rid of Ned Stark thing was so that they could bring his son. It was all part of his son's story. And now the rest of this thing is going to be about Rob Stark, our new <laughs> hero and main character. And he wasn't a point of view character in the books. No. So we we get something, I think, a little extra in the show, spending more time with him, where it's like, the Red Wedding hits really hard when it's like, oh, no, not him, too. And, of course, Catelyn and right. the rest of the I crew. think, you know, I'm pretty confident that the Red Wedding will go down as, like, an iconic moment in just the world of TV. Like, when you look back at the history of television, it's like, you know, that was a huge, huge moment. And that's, you know, this, it blew up you know, HBO and 
the fantasy world and like it, it's now you're getting millions of people watching live every episode it's like this was just a huge 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 moment in hollywood history is the red wedding just shook up everything very true charles and when I reflect on this, are we ready to love Game of Thrones again question, I think about the Red Wedding. It's like, I will always love, I mean, and hate, yeah. but uh, yeah. in, all, in all the yeah. best ways, right? right? Right. I will always be in awe of the Red Wedding as a moment in television history. And one of the things that comes to mind here is they can't take that away from us, Charles. No. no matter what happens years later in season eight, we'll always have the Red Wedding. And that's that's something I'll never forget. Me neither. Very well said. That brings us into season four. Um, it continues on book three in the Storm of Swords. And the only thing that I would want to mention about this is that we're starting to get concerned of like, is... George going to be able to keep up with the show like has it ever been done where you start a show adapting books and then you go past the books like that was something that we didn't think was possible like, are they going to stop making the show until George writes more books you know how is that going to work and even um at this point in 2014 season four George was still pretty confident that he could keep the books coming in time for the sh for the show and we know as we get into season five in the next year that that's looking to be less and less likely. I even think I, I want to say, I don't want to quote George, but I'm pretty sure he said something like it was like putting the tracks down in front of a speeding train, like what he felt like right, trying to write the book. Right, right. He's like, oh, oh my, like this is going pretty fast. And um, it's in season five that they really decided to retcon a lot of the because as the books the books got bigger and bigger the world got wider and wider more and more characters and it's in season five that they decide to like retcon certain story arcs combine certain characters and they really started trimming the fat of the books and by doing that they started speeding through the source material and it's pretty much at the end of season five in 2015 when they catch up with the source material with Jon Snow's death. I mean, it's pretty much at that point. Um, there's a little bit of, you know, trailing off here and there. But um, that's kind of, to me, I see like, okay, end of season five. It's like now you're like, where do we go from here? What does the future of the show look like? Right, Charles. That was the first moment where we really reached the point where the show was going to be revealing very, very critical plot points that the book had not yet, the books had not yet mm -hmm. shown us with that Jon Snow's death bit because, you know, we were kind of thinking, eh, is is Jon going to be dead for good or not? Right. And we were, we were ready to find out from the show, not from the books. That's right. And at this point, people were still totally on board with the show, rightfully so. Like, that was a shocking moment, and it's a cliffhanger moment. So everyone was, like, super hungry for season six, speculating about season five. And at this point, we've all pretty much accepted that, you know, we're going past um, George's writings. And it's at this moment where, like, Benioff and Weiss and Martin are all kind of revealing, like, look, we know certain things. We have these 
plot points. George is like, I gave them the broad strokes, but I don't have the details. So now you're the showrunners for the show. You've been doing an amazing job of adapting the books that you have, and now you have no more books, and you just have like a like a bullet list of important plot points that happen, and you're tasked with like, okay, write the show now. And they decide to take that on, and they get more control over the writing and the narrative, and that brings us into season six and seven. And, you know, I don't think it's any surprise to anybody that this is when kind of the show starts to waver a little bit. Like, for me, there's still a lot of really great moments. Dylan, I remember when we watched the season six finale together at my parents' yes. house, and our we were, like, standing up out of our seats, like, what? Like, when the set blows up, it was, like, this amazing yeah. moment, so full of suspense and so surprising. I'm like, how does this guy continue to surprise us? Like, when we expect anything could happen, you buy into that, and you still get surprised. Like, it was so much fun and so jaw-dropping and so entertaining. And that's season right. six. That's the end of season six. It is. Well past I, George writing. I always think fondly back to that moment. I always remember sitting on that couch uh, watching <laughs> some of those moments like when Tommen jumps out the yes, window. The layers and on that like, episode. Oh my <laughs> God. And it just kept going. That episode and the score was amazing. Yes. And there was so much to love. And we were pretty deep into the show at that point. And, and I mean... It reminds me of just other times I've had a lot of fun watching the show with friends. Like I was watching Joffrey's death with a bunch of friends while still in college. And all those moments where, I mean, everyone was cheering (laughs) despite the (laughs) horrific nature of what was going down when Joffrey died. But everyone hated him so much. And to have spent those moments bonding with friends over the show and, and friends who probably would never be willing to or never is a little strong but uh would be hesitant to pick up a few thousand page books to get these moments Mm -hmm. through the show we were able to enjoy those moments together exactly and they're just as impactful in those early moments you know and and Mm -hmm. even you know they were showing some really strong promise you know pretty much all of season six was post george writing and it's also in these moments like George kind of leaves as a writer credit and he's just pretty much now an executive producer credit. So it's like he's getting less involved with the show. Benioff and Weiss are getting more involved. They're filling in more and more gaps in the plotting. And we're still getting some really great moments in season six. Like there's some weird stuff happening throughout. They were like, I don't know why we need this plot point or whatever. But for the most part, it was very, very good. Um, season seven and you know season seven it continues but there's a moment in season seven that i just want to touch on lightly that for me i watched this and i was like game of thrones is a different kind of show now and that's season seven episode six beyond the wall this is the episode where Jon snow goes beyond the wall and um they get caught on that island in the middle of a lake surrounded by um, White Walkers, and they send Gendry to run back to the Wall, who sends a crow to Daenerys, who flies beyond the Wall to rescue everybody. And I remember watching that and being like, the logistics of this are impossible. They don't make any sense. Gendry's the fastest of all of them, and he can run from north of the Wall back. And then a raven can fly all the way from the north 
way down to Dragon's Reach or wherever Daenerys is. Dragonstone. Dragonstone. And then she can fly all the way back to the wall and they're just all chilling in the lake, you know? And the all the White Walkers are just waiting and then they just arbitrarily decide to march into the lake and attack them. And then that's when Daenerys swoops in and like the effects, like the production value of that episode is absolutely amazing. You get things like like White Walker polar bears <laughs> attacks and things like that, which it's like, okay, neat, cool. But you started to see the original things of what made the show, like the intricate plotting and logistical um, moments of the show, start to wear away. And I think that's just a result of the pressure of appealing to the country and the world at this point, it's like you have a lot more eyes on you now than you did in seasons one through three. And you're focusing more on the spectacular production than you are worrying about the trenches of the logistics of how fast Gendry can run and a crow can fly and all that. And I understand that. But to me, I watched that episode and I was like, the show is changing. It's changing. That was kind of a, a point, a turning point for me. Right. And I remember having conversations with folks after that episode that varied a lot. I, it was a really divisive episode, I feel like, where you and I had, I'm sure we could dig up some pretty long text exchanges. For sure. uh, and if you want to see those, uh, tweet at us at the FDF Podcast 1 or something. And if, uh, <laughs> if we get a little bit of a demand for it, maybe I'll try to dig up Charles oh God. and I talking <laughs> oh God. I don't about know if 2016, 17, Charles was up for that task of being exposed. But <laughs> well, I. I'll look. I mean, I might not even be able to find the text, right. but uh, tweet at us if you're interested, and maybe I'll be able to at least look to dig those up. And anyway, point being, you and I were being the nerds that we are and talking about how the logistics of a raven flying from the north of the wall to Dragonstone and blah, 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 didn't make sense. And then I'd also had conversations with folks who have a another totally valid way of watching the show sure. but different from from us yeah. which was like hey i was basically saying all this to them and they said to me hey i i get what you're saying but when i watch game of thrones i just want to uh, turn my brain off and watch dragons and white walkers and all this exactly. kind of stuff and in fact that was uh, for them one of their favorite episodes this point exactly and and that's, that's i think okay. that's the decision benioff and weiss made they're like look we're getting 14 million plus people tuning in live when the episode airs that's a lot of pressure to deliver and when you become like a massively popular show you have to you know they were like well we just let's focus more on the production value because now we're getting the people that like aren't like hardcore rr martin fans that aren't the ones that read the thousands of pages of the books like we're getting everybody we're getting like relatives and people just coming home from work looking to relax and watch some entertaining television and they're balancing that and i think that episode did that well you know all my roommates at the time they all liked it i was the only one who didn't like it but when i was like what'd you guys think of that episode they're like oh i thought it was great i was like yeah it was fine i 
it's fine. Like, I didn't want to have that conversation because I realized, like, look, it's not important. Like, we're all enjoying the show. I don't need to be like that guy, like, oh, Genji ran to the wall. Like, remember a few seasons ago? I'm when, right here, yeah, Charles. I was like, remember when <laughs> Jon Snow was, to... like, wanting to go back to from the wall to um, Winterfell to rescue Arya? And they're like, dude, it's too far. You'll never make it. It's like, and then that was, like, a huge logistical challenge. And now it's like, oh, yeah, we can go to Dragon's Reach or back or whatever. It's like, it's fine. Dragonstone. Dragonstone and back is fine. You know, it's not a huge deal. So for me, it's like, okay, this show's changing and, and that's fine. Um, it's just, I think, a sign that Benioff and Weiss had this challenge of no new material, a humongous audience that's tuning in every week. Plus, they were already at this point entertaining ideas for their next project. You know, they were getting all these exciting offers because Game of Thrones at this point is a huge cultural phenomenon. Everyone's knocking at their door. Oh, make Star Wars for me. Oh, come to Netflix. You know, so they're they're fielding offers and they're seeing what's out there. And they're like, you know what, let's make a fun show and let's kind of get through it. And that's what brings us to season eight. They announced they're taking a year off and they're filming... They're taking two years to film less episodes, but they're going to be longer and they're going to bring everything home. And at this point, you know, all that time waiting, everyone's speculating what's going to happen. We had countless hours discussing in these two years, like what could possibly happen. And we were both very excited. But I think it was also this idea of like, there's so much hype, you know, and whenever anything gets that hyped up, I, I feel like, you know, it's. How can you deliver on the level of out-of-control hype that the show has reached? And then after watching that season seven episode and you're like, now we're appealing to a broader audience plus the mega hype, what's happening in this show? And, you know, we get season eight finally in, in April of 2019, not too long ago. That we do, Charles. And it did feel like this was when popular perception really started to change was maybe by the second or third episode of season eight was when the fans start turning against the game of thrones show i'd say it was maybe that third episode when it's the battle of winterfell that people started to people started to poke holes at it and that's when it's there were the murmurings of the audience turning for me. I mean, for me, right away, I kind of remember the season eight, episode one, like the, the first Tyrion line was about how Viserys was a eunuch. I'm like, this again? Like, oh, no, you can tell we're out of we're out of George dialogue when we're back to those kinds of jokes and like right out of the gate, you know, so I was kind of rolling my eyes at that. But I was like, OK, I, I'm still pumped. You know, they're building they dedicate this episode to the next episode building up drama. I like where the characters are. I I like, you know, seeing them all kind of held up at Winterfell. They're all trying to do good by fighting the White Walkers, and they're all there for different reasons. Like, really interesting stuff. And I'm just super excited. It's like, this is what we've been waiting for since 2010. It's been nine years. And to get to this point, you know, there's still excitement. And then I think it was the Battle of Winterfell where you're like, what's going on? Like, why are they doing these things? What's happening? What are the stakes? Like, what is all of this? And then, like, it just ends, and the White Walkers are just gone, and you're like, that's it? That's the whole thing? And so I think that's the beginning of this turning point that we've seen with the fan base. 
Right. And we don't need to get and into like we won't no yeah. we won't be we dead don't horse need to like and... the season the season happened and the show ends and we all know what happens and we all know what the fan pers- perspectives are. So now that we've reviewed pretty much the the whole process of the show here yeah. season by season, Charles, I think it's time for us to re- reflect on mm-hmm. our main questions here was season eight so so brutal for us charles that we're no longer ready to love game of thrones again are we still struggling here or are are we trying to go back and see what we can get from it yeah me personally like i totally um am with the popular like opinion of season eight but i always looked at it through this lens i was like look okay like yes i agree with everything everyone's saying about why they're disappointed in season eight that's all true but the actual plot points of the things that happened like the daenerys corruption arc this whole thing of bran sitting on the throne like i'm all for all of those things i just felt like their decision to end it now and the show now and not give that room to breathe was a deterrent and then it's like, yes, but we, I was also kind of prepared for the show to have this huge shift because of its massive popularity to be more of a flashy, fun show. Don't worry so much about the details. So when you think of it that way of like, this was a show that did incredibly well, amassed a huge audience, and then attempted to deliver on this high production value at the expense of fleshing out all these characters and that's just how it ended which is unfortunate but i mean you gotta think back like when when we were doing the character series like every character series we've done it's like i'm always going back to a game of thrones character and then i'm doing research for the characters because it's been years since i've read the books and i'm reading all these quotes again and i'm like these were amazing like these were such great moments and i think back to when i watched it on tv for the first time on hbo and i'm like those were such amazing moments season eight does not undo all of that for me I'm on the same page, Charles, and for similar reasons. And I've probably been the one, you know, you you pitched uh, Song yeah, of Ice and Fire, I did. one of our friends pitching fantasy episodes. And uh, it's tough because I do still hold a lot of strong emotions around the disappointment of the end of the show. And I was even then still kind of like, I don't know if we're ready. <laughs> right. And I was feeling that not just myself, but also feeling it about the listeners like are the listeners really looking for a song of ice and fire content or are they still reeling right from the disappointment of season eight and i feel like now we're kind of starting to reach a point where i'm not seeing as many people posting memes <laughs> trying to poke holes in the show anymore and all that kind of stuff we're kind of past it it's been a while just over a year i think yeah, and I think this is kind of the precipice of maybe this is a great time for us to start thinking about how we can find all of these great moments still worthwhile yeah. despite all of the flaws of the later seasons and despite the fact that like we f- we do still feel some of that disappointment. So I'm I'm kind of feeling like I'm 
I'm just getting there, Charles. I'm just <laughs> right. starting right now right. to get to the point where I'd be ready to potentially love Game of Thrones again. Right. I uh, think we need a yeah. little more time for the show to go from reacting to season eight to the legacy of Game of Thrones. And I think when we start thinking of Game of Thrones as a legacy, that it did stuff for television that changed the game yeah i think it was a huge part of bringing people from movies to tv it's like game of thrones is doing stuff that no movie could ever do it's like forget whatever movie's coming out i want to watch game of thrones man like this is better than any movie i've ever seen because of what's happening Mm -hmm. and how enraptured i am how in love i am with all the characters so i think that legacy will bring the show back into people's hearts. It's a shame there's going to be that little asterisk that people are like, oh, great show, but season eight, though. I don't know if we'll ever shake that off. But that doesn't undo, like, I would tell anyone that's, you know, woken up from a coma that they've been in since 2009, like, oh, I've heard about this show Game of Thrones. Should I watch it? I'd be like, yes, watch it. Like, right now, it's going to be so good. So, (laughs) like... Yeah, I think we're getting ready to love Game of Thrones again. I I think we need a little bit more time to heal. I feel like I'm a little more optimistic because we've been doing these character series and it's not uncommon for a character series to become a Game of Thrones discussion episode. So it's like I've dabbled back into the world of song and ice and fire and it's gotten me excited and the reason I pitched it in Friends Pitching Fantasy was, was like I wanted to be at the front of that change right that change in perspective of the show of like hey remember when like how good all this stuff was and how and like exciting it all was and how inspiring it all was like let's try and bring some of that energy back but i think you were astute in being like it might be a little too soon and i think that's fair but we're not far from that moment we're not far i don't think so either charles i think we're we're getting we're kind of in the silent period right now where it's not that like I don't think there's a lot of people having this conversation that I see anyway where it's like wait can we stop and think back to the great moments and see if we can still find it in our hearts to love Game of Thrones again but there's also not a lot of people like I said doing the like let's crap on the show Mm -hmm. kind of conversation anymore we're just kind of in this like uh no one's really talking about right no one's really thinking much about you know it what I think is going to shake things up? It's when Winds of Winter gets an official release date. I think that or the prequels or the pre- these prequels. all these spinoff yeah. shows too, like that are coming out. And you know, I think we'll get to see exactly how hyped people are for the new content. And I think they're going to be hyped. I think people, for all of its aches and woes, love Game of Thrones. And I don't think season eight changed that so i'm hoping all this new content comes into the world soon with the new shows and winds of winter and i hope we can be a part of that healing process and and putting game of thrones into more of a of a legacy as opposed to still reeling from season eight well said charles well when we first started talking about this episode and we raised the question of are we ready to love game of thrones again the words of the great patrick rothfuss of the king killer chronicle came to my mind charles one of my favorite quotes from the king killer chronicle uh, which is 
Anyone can love a thing because. That's as easy as putting a penny in your pocket. But to love a thing despite, to know the flaws and love them too, that is rare and pure and perfect. And Charles, I want to invite you and me and all of our listeners out there to try to love Game of Thrones despite. So well said. I'm going to RSVP yes to that invitation with a single tear in my eyes. I can't think of a better way to close out the show than with that lovely quote. Have we said our piece on Game of Thrones? I think we've said it all, Charles. Wow. Well, there we go, everybody. Let's get that outro music going. Thank you, everyone, for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. Always exciting to talk Game of Thrones with you, Dylan. Such an exciting world of fantasy. That is. If you like what you heard today, you want to reach out to us, let us know your own thoughts. Are you ready to talk Game of Thrones again? Let us know on Twitter at the FTF Podcast with a number one at the end. You could also let us know on Facebook and Instagram at the FTF Podcast. You could also shoot us an email at the FTF Podcast at gmail.com. Now, Dylan, I gotta ask you if there's a fan out there who's listening on Apple Podcasts and they like the show and they want to show their support, what can they do? five stars to our podcast you just gotta scroll down to that spot with the it'll probably show five empty stars because only a small fraction of those who listen have rated us yet which is okay we know yeah that's fine you got stuff to do you just gotta click those five stars you can also write a review that would be even better but like we said look you got stuff to do if you just throw five stars our way or just listen. Yeah, you know, you just anyway. listening is more than enough. The five stars is great, too. The review is ultimate. We love you forever. So thank you so much for listening. Consider all those options we laid out before you. And as always, friends, go forth and conquer, friends.